0: Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit UniteChurchAK.org. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Zach Neese. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so grateful to uh, Pastor Josh and Joni and Mariah and Reed and Robert just in the elders to trust me, I know that I can be a little unorthodox, but I know your pastor and he's also unorthodox, So so I'm pretty sure you guys can handle it. Just as a little review, last week, um, if you remember, we were talking about basically a question, what time is it? Right? What time is it? And we talked about the last church, the seventh church. And what if that's us? What if we're in the days of the last church? What if God is wrapping this thing up and tying it in a bow and we're almost done? I don't know if that's true or not. My mom used to think the same thing when she was a kid, she says. But I know that today we're one day closer than we were yesterday, right? And tomorrow, we're going to be one day closer than we are today. So every day, we're a step closer to whatever it is that Jesus is trying to fulfill in his kingdom and his glory. And I want to live like that. So we talked about that lukewarm church, and nobody wants to be that church, right? And we talked about the lukewarm church having a passion problem. Because it had a passion problem, it had a presence problem. And because it had a presence problem, it had a power problem. Because you don't get the power of God without the presence of God. So part of the key of being... A church that walks in the power of God is being a church that values and longs for the presence of God. I want Jesus here. And the crazy thing is, there's a type of church that he's actually not in. He's on the outside knocking on the door going, Guys, if you're interested, I'd love to come be part of this whole church thing you guys are doing. (laughs) And sometimes we just kind of think that we've got it down. Well, I'm here to tell you, I do not have it down. I can't even get a click track to work right. (laughs) Can't get the lyrics to work right. And I sure can't give any kind of sermon that makes any sense or has any kind of power without Jesus Christ. So before we do anything else, I just want to again submit ourselves to him, okay? So right now in this place, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would hover in this room just like you hovered over the waters of creation and that you would breathe and birth life, Lord Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our ears to you because we want to hear. Our hearts to you because we want to love what you love, God. We submit our minds to you because we want to understand what you want us to understand. And we all ask in this place that you would transform us today so that when we leave, we would be more like you than when we came into this room. And Lord, I ask for myself. I'm juggling a lot, and I'm completely human, and I'm prone to frailty, and I ask that you would give me clarity of thought and eloquence of speech. And Holy Spirit, that you would stir in me what you want your people to hear. And that you would please shut my mouth if I'm about to say anything stupid. In Jesus' name, amen. I, was, I believe in honest praying. Is that okay? Sometimes I say stupid things. Here goes. I'm going to say one right now. Ready? I want to tell you a story. Um, so um, I we have six kids. I'm, I know there's a lot of big families in here, and I have five of them that are still here. My youngest one is here in in, uh, in kids' church. He's 10 years old now. My oldest is back in Texas. He's 20. But the 10-year-old, when he was two, was hilarious. He was always doing In fact, all the kids were. You know how it is. They're always saying things that you're like uh, wishing you'd written down because you'd be a millionaire if you'd written them all down. You know what I mean? So he was always doing things that were just like, where did you even come up with that, you know? So I was exhausted one day. It was after a weekend. I told you last week that we'd had a miracle happen in our church. We had 5,000 people show up on the first day that we opened. So by the time we'd been going for about a year, two years, we were averaging 7,500, 8,000 people a weekend. And we only had an auditorium that fit 1,200 people. So we were having five and six services every weekend, And I was also teaching in between, so I was just bone-dead tired by the time you get to the end of a weekend, you know. Oh, my gosh. So the possibility of getting a nap in when you have six kids, how many of you know, is just virtually impossible, right? But my—yeah— my wife's helpful. She would try to let me get a few minutes. And so even if I could get like 15, I'd be so grateful. So I went into my bedroom one day, and I was so tired. I laid down, and I'm like sinking into the, to the, the pillow top of my bed. And my, you know that feeling you get when you're so tired, your face starts to get numb, and your, your lips feel like they weigh like three pounds each? Brah. And you're just, you're just melting into nothingness. And I'd just fallen into one of those like coma sleeps, right? And I hear this, bang. And I shot up, you know, scared me to death. I shot up awake and I looked over and my two-year-old Sam had just kicked the door open and he was standing there with his hands on his hips in his underwear with a Superman cape on. And he said, I'm gonna kiss you bones off. I'm gonna kiss you bones off. And I said, bring it on. And he came over and he got up in the bed and we wrestled around and we kissed on each other and stuff. Now that's cute when it's a two-year-old that's your son, right? (laughs) I have a neighbor named Joe. I love Joe. He's a good guy. He's, he's a good friend of mine. He's a Christian. We talk about Jesus all the time. I really like Joe. In fact, they're some of the best neighbors we've ever had. But just imagine I'm in a deep sleep. I've just, I've just done five services. You know, I'm exhausted. I, my lips feel like they're three pounds each, and I'm melting into, right, my bed. I'm in my coma stage, and I hear a bang. And I look up, and Joe is standing there in his underwear <laughs> with a little Superman cape on. And he says, I'm going to kiss your bones off. Because Joe's Mexican. I'm going to kiss your bones off. (laughs) Now, (laughs) listen, there are some things that a child can do that your neighbor can't get away with. You hear what I'm saying? There are some things that your children can do. There are places your children can go that your neighbors and your friends and nobody else on earth can get away with. This is why it's important that you and I understand our identity because there are things that a child of God can do. You don't have to be dressed right. You don't have to say the right things. You don't have to show up at the right time. But you show up in the presence of your father, and he welcomes you with open arms. You can show up in your underwear with a Superman cape on and say, I'm going to kiss your bones off. And he's like, yeah, bring it, because you're his child. And you have open access. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace because you're a child of the living God. Your identity matters. If I know that I'm his, I know that I can come regardless of what state I'm in, right? That's why it was so important that Jesus was the son of God. You know, he basically kicked the door of heaven open and ran into the presence of his father God. But he, not, he was not just a son of God, he was something else. He was a priest of God. See, only a child of God can come into the most intimate place with the father God, but only a priest of God can lead someone else there. He had to be both. He had to be a child of God and a priest of God. So my goal today is to, is to prove to you God help me, that you are not only a child of God who has access to the throne of grace, but you are a priest of God who can also lead another person there. Your identity matters. Now, you ready? If you're taking notes, get yourself ready. So, do you know what a mega theme is? A mega theme is a foundational thought that runs all the way through the Word of God. For instance, worship is a mega-theme in the Bible. The Bible begins with worship. It teaches us about worship all the way through, and by the time we get to the end, we're back in a place of worship again, right? The priesthood is a mega-theme, too. The Bible begins with the priesthood. It's woven all the way through the story, and by the time we get to the end of the Bible, we're back at this place of priesthood again. So I want to show you where it starts. You remember the book of Genesis, and you remember Genesis 2-7. Tell me, please, how was Adam made? What was the first man made out of? Tell me. Dirt. That's exactly right. This is so funny. In fact, the Bible says that God formed man out of the earth, out of the dust of the ground. And the word formed, it doesn't mean like, you know, he, he painstakingly sculpted man. In fact, the word for fashioned was used for woman, and it means painstakingly sculpted. But that's not what the word formed when he made man. The word formed means squeezed. So this is what God did. He reached down to the ground. He got a handful of dirt, and he went, Pfft. That'll do. <laughs> and that's why we're like that, because, because this is how God made us. He reached down. Women, you're so frustrated with us, but you were sculpted and fashioned. We weren't made like that. We were just, God reached down and went, there, that's man. And <laughs> here's the here's the here's the beauty of that. Do you know men that you're shaped like the hand of God? You've got his fingerprints all over you. And when you're in his hand, you're very much like him. Because you're made in the hand of God. So man was made out of Yes, he's made out of the dust, but he wasn't alive yet. What had to happen next? That's right. God took him and the Bible says that this is this is kind of weird. If you did this to anyone on earth besides your spouse, uh it would be too intimate. The Bible says he breathed into his nostrils. <whistles> like Jen and I when we wake up in the morning, we don't even typically face each other cuz You you don't want anybody breathing up your nostrils when you first wake up in the morning, do you? Like, that's some nasty stuff. But this is is how you were made into a living being. God took you and breathed into your nostrils in your mother's womb. So we have this creature, the only one that's made out of two things. He's made out of earth, and he's made out of heaven. He's made out of dust, and he's made out of spirit. Why? Because only a creature of spirit is, can have relationship with a father of spirit. And only a creature of earth can have relationship with the earth. This is what Adam was created to do. Adam was created to walk his entire life with one hand in the hand of his father, God, and the other hand in the hand of the creation that God put him in. And as long as he did that, everything would work flawlessly. It didn't last very long, did it? As long, Here's the thing, spirit can relate to spirit and earth flesh dust can relate to earth flesh dust so god gave him this incredible ministry of having relationship with him so that he could have relationship with everything else he created i want to show you something genesis 2:15 the bible says the lord placed the man in the garden to tend it and to watch over it That word tend is interesting. Typically, when we think about Adam, we think God made him, put him in the garden, right? And he gave him like, you know, a rake and a hoe. And he said, pull weeds, dude. I don't want any weeds in this garden. I want it to be. That's not what this means at all. The word tend in Hebrew is the word avad. And it actually means to serve or to minister to something. It, so God put Adam in the garden and he said, I want you to serve this creation I made. I want you to minister to it. In fact, half the time when you see that word in the Bible, it's actually used in the Levitical context. It means to serve as a worshiper. It means to serve as a priest. So God took Adam, he made him out of both elements, out of heaven and out of earth, and then he put him in the garden and he said, I want you to minister to the earth. I want you to be the priest of the earth. And as long as you keep one hand in my hand, and as long as everything you touch, you touch as you're holding my hand, it'll be blessed, it's gonna work. This word, by the way, watch is the word shama? It doesn't mean watch. It actually means keep. The Lord bless you. And it's the same word. He was put in the garden to minister to it and to keep it, to be a blessing to creation, to serve as its priest. And as long as he kept those two connected, he's good. But what happened? Almost immediately, humanity did this. Let go. Have you ever done that? you ever had that kind of day? I had had some of those days this week. I had some of those days where I was like, "Uh, anything you touch while you're not holding the hand of God is going to be complicated, right? Anything you touch while you're not holding the hand of God, you're going to face toil. You're going to face hardship. So as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they let go of the hand of God. And what happened to their relationship with each other? Dude, it went down the toilet. We've been having a hard time getting along ever since. Relationship with human beings went down the toilet. What happened with his relationship with the earth? It became difficult. It became hard. Even his relationship with himself, he became fragmented. He was filled with shame. We're created to do everything that we do in relationship with God because we're made to be priests. But when we stop having relationships with God, your life will be very much more difficult than it has to be. Your relationships with people, with the earth, and even with yourself. So that's how God made us. The entire story of the Old Testament is a story of God trying to bring back up these priestly people. He chose a nation, Israel. He chose a tribe, the Levites. He chose a family, Aaron, out of that tribe. And he said, I want you to be priests. I want you to walk around with your hand in my hand and your other hand touching the earth. And everything will be blessed if you do. But how many of you know over and over and over and over again, they messed up? So God's a genius. What did God do? His plan, who said that? Yeah, he is. His plan from the foundation, before the foundations of the earth, was to raise up his own priest. Who is the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. Now, let me ask you a question. What is Jesus made of? Who said earth and heaven? You're way ahead of me. You're a genius. That's Gabby. That's exactly right. Who is Jesus' mother? Earth. Earth. Who is Jesus' father? God, heaven. She's made out of flesh and Jesus is made out of flesh and he's made out of spirit. He's made out of earth and he's made out of heaven. Why? Because Jesus was put on this earth to minister to God and to minister to the world. He was put on this earth to have relationship with God and to have relationship with us. In fact, that's all he ever did. He walked around with one hand in the hand of his father and the other hand he touched blind men and made him see. In the other hand, he touched crippled people and made them walk. In the other hand, he drove demons out of people and gave them liberty. Why could he walk on water? Because his relationship with nature wasn't broken. Because his relationship with his father wasn't broken. How could he calm a storm? Because his relationship with nature wasn't broken. Because his relationship with his father wasn't broken. How could he hang on a cross? Because his relationship with himself wasn't broken. He never sinned and he didn't have any shame. So he could go to the cross to pay for all of our sins. In fact, the ultimate act of priesthood was Jesus reaching one hand to the father like this and the other hand to us and through the power of a perfect life bringing us together That's Jesus. Four people like that. (laughs) What's wrong with the rest of you? (laughs) Woo! Dude, I'm teaching you a mega theme of the Bible. This is exciting. Come on. (laughs) Thank you, man. So listen, God started with the priesthood. He tried to lead us back. He sent his own son because we kept messing up and he could have left it there. But Jesus did something incredible. Jesus invited us back into the priesthood. I want to show you something. This is John 3. Do you remember the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he secretly was really interested in Jesus. And so he snuck out to see Jesus at night and he said, Jesus, we know that you're from God for no one can perform the signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is going, how do you do this? In his mind, he's like, it's almost like you're walking around with your hand in the hand of God. Because nobody could do what you do unless God was with him. Do you see? Nicodemus is seeing something. Nobody could do this unless they were doing this. Nicodemus sees it. And Jesus says something that's baffling. Have you ever noticed that Jesus answers questions that you don't ask? Like you're asking about one thing, And he says, you know, I'd rather you not cheat on your taxes or, you know, (laughs) or whatever. You were kind of hard on the kids last night. God, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Because what Nicodemus was asking was, how do I get the kingdom of God on earth? You seem to be doing it. How do we do this? And he says, unless you're born again, You will not even see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus, imagine, you have no context for this. This is the first time you're ever hearing it in your life and somebody says you have to be born again, right? And Nicodemus is like, well, (laughs) I don't know how that's possible. And and he's actually, the Bible says he's actually thinking, can a man go back into his mother? (laughs) and, And Jesus is like, No, man, you don't get it. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about the first time you were born of water. What does that mean? You were born from flesh. You were born from a person. You were born of the earth. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, you got to be born a second time. What's the second time? Born of spirit. Why? Because only a spirit being can relate to a spirit being and God is a spirit being. And only a flesh being, only an earth being can relate to an earth being. And he's called you not to just be saved, but to be a walking, breathing, talking, priest on the earth that walks around with one hand in the hand of father and the other hand touching the earth around you that's what you're supposed to be doing you're made of both elements how many of you were born the rest, some of you don't know some people need a little biology less if you're here one way or the other you were born bro So how many of you were born? Okay, that's your first qualification. Now, of those who just put up their hand, how many of you have been born again? You are a person of two worlds. You have been born into two worlds. And there's a reason you were born into two worlds, so that you could have relationship with God and minister to his heart. And so that you could have relationship with the earth he puts you in, the grocery store evangelist. That's what that means, so that you can walk around with one hand in the hand of your father, and with the other hand, just touch people, just talk to people, just relate to people, tend to them. Get it? So listen, you're a priest. You don't have to be Catholic. Surprise. You don't have to have a, a, a collar. surprise. You don't have to have even gone to seminary, surprise, to be a priest. You have to be born and born again. Anybody here who is born once and then born again, you're a priest. If you're a saved human being, you are a priest of the most high. So if I ask you, who are you? You say, I'm a priest. Ready? Let's try it. Who are you? That's right. You're a priest. Who are you guys? Oh, Oh, some of these guys aren't. What are you guys over here? You're a priest. What are you guys over there? oh, what about these guys over here? Are you priests? Yeah, who are you guys? That's right, who are you? That's right, because, and you, you know what? Your identity determines your function, so it matters, remember? If you're a child of God, you can come into the presence of God. If you're a priest of God, you can lead somebody else there. So we're about to talk about some of the priestly duties. How many of you guys like Nacho Libre? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, is that a question? That was one of my favorite movies. My kids and I watch it all the time. In fact, my worship team, we used to watch it in between services every Easter. <laughs> because it's an Easter movie. You remember that one scene? Do you not know that I've had the diarrhea since Easter's? <laughs> so I was, I was really concerned that maybe it was racist for me to like that movie. And I was hanging around, was Jennifer and I, in Colombia. And uh, we're ministering with all these Central and South Americans. You know, you talked about Quique and, and, uh, Pavon a, and a bunch of like South American, Central American, and, and Mexican worship leaders. And they started quoting like the whole movie of Nacho Libre. So just so you know, everybody likes Nacho Libre. It's okay. So let's talk about some of our priestly duties. Some of your priestly duties. There are three priestly duties, okay? And we're gonna get these out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse eight. The Bible says, at that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark, that's one of them, carry the ark of the Lord's covenant, to stand before the Lord, and, and by the way, the Hebrew it doesn't just say stand before the Lord. It, it says to stand in his face. It means to get into the face of God, to stand into the presence of God, to stand in his presence as his ministers. And it means not, to, not just to be his, to minister to him, to carry the ark, to stand in his presence, and to pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day. So if you're a priest today, this is one of your duties. This is one of your duties. First of all, carry the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence and the glory of God on earth. Secondly, to minister to him. And third, to bless people. Okay, we're going to talk about those three things. You ready? Who's a priest? Hold up three fingers. We're going to talk about the very first one, carrying the presence of God. You ready? All right. Uh, Do you guys understand what... uh, Diplomatic immunity is, the way diplomatic immunity works. Anybody ever watched Lethal Weapon? Like Lethal Weapon, I think it was, was it Lethal Weapon 2? Diplomatic immunity, just been revoked, right? So diplomatic immunity means this. It means if I'm an ambassador, let's say I'm an ambassador from Japan, right? If I'm an ambassador from Japan, I carry the name and the authority and the sovereignty of Japan to the country that I go to represent Japan to. So if I come to the United States from Japan, I am the essence of Japan walking around in the United States, right? Diplomatic immunity means that I am The representation of the sovereign nation of Japan, so you can't hold me accountable to your laws. You can't hold Japan accountable to the laws of the United States any more than you can hold the United States accountable to the laws of Russia. It doesn't make any sense at all. So if I'm walking around as a diplomat in the United States, everywhere I go, I carry the name of Japan, I carry the authority of Japan, and I carry the sovereignty of Japan. So before I step in that spot, it is the United States of America. But as an ambassador, as soon as I step on that spot, this becomes... Japan. You get it? Because I am the living embodiment of Japan. When I step here, Japan. When I step here, Japan. The laws of the United States don't apply to me anymore. You can actually speed and a cop can't give you a ticket because it's impossible for a police officer to give Japan a speeding ticket. It doesn't make any sense at all. I am the embodiment of Japan. Now listen, this is what the word says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is he saying? What he's saying is when I become a carrier of the presence of God, I am just like an ambassador to Japan. I'm carrying the name of God and I'm carrying the authority of God, and I'm carrying the sovereignty of God. That means anywhere I go becomes the kingdom of the living God. This place is just a platform before I step onto the platform. But when I step onto it, because I'm an ambassador of the Most High God, and I'm carrying the name and the authority and the sovereignty of God, this just became kingdom. When you walk into a grocery store, it's not cars anymore, it's kingdom. When you step your foot in the place, it becomes kingdom because you're carrying the presence and the authority and the name of God. That's why you can walk into somebody's life and you can lay hands on that person and pray for them and you know that the name of Jesus is being pronounced over them and the authority of Jesus is invading that person's life and the sovereignty of Jesus is now invading that person's life. The laws of hell do not apply here. The laws of hell say sin leads to death and and hell. But the laws of the kingdom say that sin was broken and covered and paid for on the cross. So when you step into the world, you are carrying the law of kingdom because you're carrying the personhood of Jesus Christ with you as an ambassador. Do you get it? Now so glad that guy got it right there. Anytime I say something like this, I've got somebody. How many of you think, uh, I don't know, the pastor so-and-so, maybe he carries the presence of God. Or so-and-so who's at the prayer altar, they, they carry the presence of God. You know, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. How on earth could I carry the presence of God? How is that even possible? I'm a mess. God isn't in me. I want to share a passage with you. This is 2 Timothy 2.20. It says, In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say you've got a king coming over to your house, okay? I was going to say the president, but some of you might not like him. So let's just say you've got a king coming over to the house. That's okay. That's between you and God. Take it to God. I'm not judging you. You're supposed to pray for the elders of your people and the leader, but that you don't have to like him. It doesn't say that. So... Let's say you've got a king coming over to your house, right? And you want to serve him, and you want to serve him out of a vessel of honor. And you have a choice. You have a chalice of silver, okay? You have a goblet of gold, and you have a cup of clay, okay? Right? You've got silver, gold, and clay. Which one is the vessel of honor? Don't say it yet. I'm going to vote. Who thinks the silver is the vessel of honor? Yeah? Okay. Who thinks the gold is the vessel of honor? Okay, it's not a bad answer. Who thinks the clay is the vessel of honor? Yeah? Okay, so you guys know this passage, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. So I know why you're saying that because you know that passage and because you think that's the answer, but you're wrong. (laughs) Pastor. All right, is... Is this? I'm I'm just kidding. The, is the silver the vessel of honor? The gold? Let's do it again. Who thinks the silver is a vessel of honor? Now you're like, I don't know. <laughs> who thinks the gold is a vessel of honor? There's like, there's like 15 brave people, and who still think the clay is a vessel of honor? Thank you, man. You stick with your convictions. I'm gonna tell you which one the vessel of honor is. Whichever one the king picks up. The vessel of honor is the one that's in the king's hand. The vessel of honor is the one that's filled with his spirit. And I'll tell you why. What are the streets made out of in heaven? That's right. The treasure of earth is the dirt of heaven. If you look from the perspective of heaven, guess where silver comes from? The earth. Guess where gold comes from? The earth. Guess where clay comes from? The only people that notice that we're cooler than other people are us. (laughs) Angels think we're all dirt. (laughs) Whether you're silver or gold or clay, it's all dirt from the perspective of heaven. That's why what makes you a vessel of honor is not what you're made of. What makes you a vessel of honor is whose hand are you in? Who's carrying you around and what did he fill you with? And you may be thinking, but you don't get it. I'm, I'm 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 so messed up. I've got cracks and fissures all through my life. My testimony is like a road map, and not a road map of Alaska because there's only four roads. I'm talking about like a state with roads, <laughs> that kind of state. <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you something. If you if you have messed up in your life, if you have been broken, if you have failed. God is glorified through your failures. I'm convinced that the reason that God picked me up is because I'm an earthen vessel. It doesn't matter if I'm silver. Doesn't matter. Quit comparing to other people. That doesn't make any difference. You sing better than me. I don't care. You sing worse than me. Still don't care. You're prettier than I am. You have more money. Who cares? Your earth, to earth you will return. Part of you is going to go back to the earth and part of you is going to go to God. It doesn't matter. We're the only people that compare. What matters is, do you allow yourself to be picked up into the master's hand? And the more you failed and the more cracks are in your life, the more you leak everywhere he carries you. And he wants to fill you with his spirit and he wants to bring you into the grocery store and he wants to bring you to the bank and he wants to bring you to school and he wants to bring you into this sanctuary and he doesn't want you to just sit there and to receive because you weren't created to be a consumer of ministry. You were created to be a priest. You were made to minister to God and to humanity. You see, we have this concept that there are those who do ministry and there are those who receive ministry, and that's a demonic concept. That's not a concept from heaven. That's a concept that was built by men who wanted to maintain power and keep it from other people. I'm telling you, God wants to give you power back. He wants you to be the minister of heaven. He wants you to be the minister to the people around you. He wants to carry you around and to leak on a world that's desperate for water. Do you get it? Carry the presence of God. It's your privilege to carry the presence of the living God. But if they knew what I did, it doesn't matter. Paul was a murderer. God called him. David committed adultery and then murdered the guy he committed adultery on his wife with. Jeez, yes, and his troops. Listen, (laughs) if God can use David, he can use you. (laughs) And me, well, I'm not, he said he talked. Yeah, I may say what he said. (laughs) All right, so what are you? Priests carry the presence of God. Priests carry the presence of God. Number two, priests minister to God. You know there's not a single word for worship in the Bible that has anything to do with us getting anything out of it. We think that worship is for us because we've marketed it to people, because you can sell it and you can buy it. Because we come to services and people say, how did you enjoy worship? I mean, it's a side benefit if we enjoy worship, but you don't. worship is not about ministering to your pleasures. I used to have people come up to me all the time and say, I wish you'd sing this, or it's too loud, or it's too soft, or it's too this, or it's too that. And, and eventually I'd have to take those side, people aside and say, I think you're under the misconception that this is for you. But actually, worship is about ministering to God. You see, whatever you minister to is what is going to be enthroned in your life. And if I'm ministering to the tastes of humanity, that means that the opinions of humanity will be enthroned in my life. Priests don't court the favor of man. Politicians court the favor of man. Priests court the favor of God. I want to minister to the living God because when you minister to the living God, God shows up. But you might say, there's so many needs. Of course there's so many needs, but the more I try to meet those needs with my hand disconnected from God, the more I'm just going to harm, the more I'm going to cause harm So I minister to the Lord, and I take a hold of the hand of God, and I minister to his desires and his dreams, to his will, to his pleasure, so that when I turn around to you and put my hand on you, I have clean hands. I'm laying clean hands on the vessels of God. I'm touching you with a hand that has power because it's connected to the power source. You understand? If I minister to God, he shows up and ministers to people. But if I run around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to take care of the needs of man, I will never accomplish it because they will never end and I'm not strong enough. If this church, imagine this. Imagine if a church full of people just figured out, I'm here to minister to God. And I believe that when I do, he comes. And whenever God shows up, he brings power with him. What if you just believed it? What if you just believed I'm a carrier of the presence of God? Everywhere I go, it becomes kingdom. That means when I set my foot on here, this becomes a meeting place between heaven and earth. When I talk to you at the store, it becomes a meeting place between heaven and earth. When I'm blessing my kids before they go to bed, it becomes a meeting place between heaven and earth. What if the church got that? Can you imagine a church that every person who went there believed Wherever I go and whoever I talk to this week, that's going to be a meeting place between heaven and earth. If there are 300 people in here, that would be at least 300 meetings between heaven and earth. There'd be 600 people here next week. Imagine if you had five meetings between heaven and earth in a a week. Imagine if you had 10. Anchorage isn't that big a place. It could be saved. All of it. If the priests of God arise. But you know what? Pastor Josh doesn't have the strength to do that by himself. And Billy leading worship, he's good, but he didn't have the strength to do that by himself. And it's not his job. It's not their job to minister and for, uh, and for everyone else to receive. It's your privilege. Take it. You're a priest of the most high God. What are you? Priests carry the presence of God. And priests minister to the Lord. And finally this. Priests bless people. I don't don't live to minister primarily. We do minister to people, but primarily we minister to God. And then secondarily people, right? But when I think about blessing people, one of the first things that pops into my head is to say something nice to say something that you like, to, to, to tell a joke you might think is funny or to play your favorite song or something like that. How do you bless people? You do things that they want you to do, right? Well, not really. That's not what that means. The word bless means to see someone's end from their beginning. This is what God does. The word says that he sees our end from our beginning. He's eternal. He's outside of time. When he steps out of your timeline, he doesn't just see you the way you are right now. He sees you glorified already and what God does is he doesn't relate to you in your now. He relates to you like you're seated in heavenly places. That's why when he found you in your sin, he didn't treat you like you were a sinner. He treated you like you were a son because he saw your end from your beginning, and he treated you according to your end. You get it? When you bless somebody, You see their end from their beginning. So the person who's in front of you, sometimes my children, when they're they're right in front of me, are complete hellions. Not very often. They're, They're typically amazing. They're beautiful kids. But sometimes the person who's standing in front of you in the flesh is not easy to get along with. Do you know any people like that? Do not elbow your husband or wife if you're married at all, or have been, you know there are people in this world who are difficult to get along with, at least sometimes, right? And we have a tendency to react to those people as they are right now. But when I have blessing eyes, I have prophetic eyes, and I see that person's end from their beginning, and I realize what they're acting like right now is not who they are. It means you have to have prophetic eyes in order to bless somebody. It means you have to see who they're going to be. And your words catalyze that transformation. And your actions catalyze that transformation. And even your heart towards them catalyzes that transformation. So this is how you bless somebody. You look at Judah and you say, God, how do you see Judah? And you say, God, what's your heart for Judah? God, what are your words for Judah? And then you speak the words of God with the heart of God from the perspective of God. That's how you bless somebody. So my kids, like I said, we have six. And when they were growing up, we'd go around to all their beds and we'd bless every single one of them. And it took forever. But all my kids, no matter what they'd done that day, no matter how they'd failed, no matter whether or not they'd gotten in an argument or or done, done something disobedient, when I blessed them, I didn't pray for them according to what they'd done. I'd pray for them according to who they were becoming because I'm calling them into their destiny. What would happen if the church, listen to me, our culture's divided. When you look at somebody who has a different opinion than you, what do you see? When you look at someone that has a different political perspective than you, what do you see? When you look at somebody who has a different morality than you do, what do you see? And how do you speak? And how do you treat those people? We could change the world if we could just learn how to bless people. If we could just learn how to see somebody from the perspective of God to have God's heart for them and then to do God's things. I was leading worship one time at a conference and there was a guy, I was just telling somebody this last week, there was a guy standing over here and he had so much blonde hair. It's just all over the place. It looked like an explosion of curly blonde hair. And he, it didn't, he wasn't doing anything unusual. Nothing about him looked unusual, but you know, every once in a while God just puts a spotlight on somebody. So it's like God had a spotlight on this guy. And I kept having this feeling, you got to get off the platform and go hug that guy. And it just kept bothering me, you know? It's like nagging at me. And so finally, I'm leading worship. Who's going to lead worship? I put my guitar down. I put my guitar down. I jumped off the platform, and I walked across the top of the pews until I got to this hairy-headed blonde dude, and I just wrapped my arms around him. And the dude bawled. He cried and cried. And it turned out that he had just come out of homosexuality, and he'd given his life to Jesus Christ. And he felt completely rejected by everybody in his life. And all he needed was to know that somebody saw him and cared about him. So when I went down there and hugged that dude, to him it said, God sees me and he cares about me and he forgives me and he receives me. He got all of that from me giving him a hug. That's how you bless somebody. See him from the eyes of God. Have God's heart and do what God does. Say what he says. One of the greatest blessings in the Bible is in Numbers six, 24 through 26. and, and, And we even sing it. But this is how the Lord commanded the priests to bless one another. So I do this over my kids and I do this over congregations all the time. And now I'm gonna do this to you, okay? I wanna ask you, If you want to receive a blessing, just close your eyes and turn your hands towards the Lord in whatever way feels like receiving to you. This is how the Lord commands us to bless one another. People of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the lord lift up his countenance towards you so that you can see his eyes that they are upon you that they're on you for good that they're ablaze with love for you and may that knowledge give you the peace that passes all understanding that cannot be purchased in this world cannot be attained through your own actions, but only through relationship with the living Son of God, the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the bread and the water of life, the prince of peace, and the Lord of all lords, Jesus Christ. And now I want to ask you to do this. Just ask, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? If I'm a priest, what do you want me to do? If I'm supposed to carry the presence of God, what do you want me to do? If I'm supposed to minister to your heart, what do you want me to do? And if I'm supposed to bless people, come down. If you're walking around with one hand in the hand of God and the other hand reaching out to your brothers and sisters, you want a priest to pray for you. If you have a need, you want a priest to agree with you. And there's power in those prayers. And so if you have any need today, I want to invite you to come this way. Don't go that way. Come this way. And let someone agree with you touching that thing. And the Bible says it will be done for you by your Father who is in heaven. Again, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Lord Jesus Christ, we submit ourselves to you right now. And we pray that you would be glorified through our lives in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at UniteChurchAK.org. We hope to see you soon.